Welcome to the NCO Journal Podcast, where we explore NCO professional development. This is a podcast series where we discuss published articles with authors and provide a forum for the open exchange of ideas, information, and solutions. I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Brandon Cox, the Journal's Senior Editor. With us is Chago Zapata, the Managing Editor, and Sergeant First Class Isvaldo Akite, the NCIC. Today we discuss the article, The Army's Transition Assistance Program Needs Assistance by author First Sergeant Soraya Bacchus. Before we kick things off, could you please tell us a bit about yourself? All right, so Master Sergeant Soraya Bacchus. Um, I've been in the Army for uh, roughly 21 years. I joined out of Queens, New York, uh, right after 9-11, with the expectation of only doing four years, and here I am 21 years later. So <laughs> I'm a 94 uh, air traffic control equipment repairer, um, but we merge at, at uh, E8, so I'm an ordnance electronics supervisor. Uh, currently, I am at Fort Bliss, graduate of uh, Class 72, Sergeant Majors Academy, and I stayed here at Fort Bliss. I'm actually now back over at the Master Leaders course at the uh, Non-Commissioned Officer Leadership Center of Excellence. So I actually started that job yesterday. Thank you, and thank you for joining us. Master Bacchus, what inspired you initially to write this article? So my my very first my very first um, interaction with with a retiring NCO or retiring service member was at my first duty station. I was a brand new uh, PFC, and my supervisor at the time, and I don't know why this stuck out to me. Uh, he introduced himself my very first day. He said, "You know, I'm sorry, first class, such and such, and uh, you won't be seeing me around because I'm retiring." And that has always stuck out to me. And and true to his word, I I saw saw him very rarely. And I just figured that was just how things went. Um, and of course, another NCO stepped up and while he was in the transition process. And I just kind of accepted it until I became uh, maybe about 10, 12 years in the Army. And then I really had a lot of experience with retiring service members, officers, enlisted, warrant officers. And um, I just noticed it and I'm like, why don't we change this? Like, why is this process not a little bit more refined to where it accommodates the service member to really properly transition? And I watched a lot of NCOs that I, you know, look up to mentors, uh, supervisors that I respected just struggle trying to balance. And then fast forward when I had an opportunity at the Sergeant's Major Academy to really pick a topic that was, you know, close to me that I, I decided to write on that because I've seen it so many times. And we're, we're in such a, such a transition process as an army. So many things are changing uh, based on soldiers' feedback. And I just thought it was a good opportunity to maybe highlight that. Master Arnold, what what about that conversation or that introduction that you had with that Sergeant First Class made it so impactful? It was almost like he was in panic mode. Um, and I remember, I, I, yeah, he was in a panic almost. And you, you can see a little bit of regret, a little bit of unpreparedness. And um, he was struggling with, well, I know you're new to the Army, but I'm getting ready to go and I have things to do. And I just never, that was my first impression of, of a senior NCO, uh, was that interaction with him. And it just stuck with me. And I never, I, I rarely saw him after that. As, as someone who has uh, gone through the process, I retired in 09. Uh, I left a lot, I took a lot of things for granted back then. 
you know, and I was I was in a different unit. I was uh, separate from the the rest of the military or the I was in the Marines at the time. So it was I, I, I was part of headquarters Marine Corps in Washington, but uh, I was uh, I was in a de- detachment in L.A. And so there was only four of us. So all the services, mm-hmm. all the stuff that was offered was I didn't know about it. You know, I took a lot of things for granted. Hi. I just assumed that things were going to going to fall fall into place. And then as time went by. I can I can imagine how that sergeant first class that you're talking about felt because you you feel panic you know it, it's Absolutely. coming to an end. This was this yeah. was 2002, so imagine during that time um, how much more of a panic mode because we've come a long way with our preparation process for our pending retirees. So I can only imagine you know back in 2002 how he felt. Yeah, and as we move into you talking a little bit about tap, could you? Master, could you explain us the current retirement process that we have in place? So for the current retirement process, as I understand it, and I just recently had a soldier um, go through, you can start preparing 36 months out in theory, right? It briefs well. Um, However, for approved retirement orders, locked in, yes, I'm getting out um, no less than, than 12 months or no more than 12 months. Um, So there is a time 36 months out that you can actually start exploring those services that are offered through the transition assistance program. Does that happen based on your organization, where you're stationed, your operational uh, tempo? That may or may not happen. Or you may not have uh, fully decided yet on whether or not you want to, you know, push the button on that. But once you once you have approved orders, that's when that's when your transition process really kicks into gear with your, you know, medical appointments, uh, getting those scheduled, getting gathering your medical records, really trying to find out um, if you are going to seek employment afterwards. Are you a, are you prepared for that um, employment opportunity that you think you want to apply for? Are you, you know, do you have the training? Do you have the education level? So 12 months is, there's a lot to do in 12 months. And of course, what's important to you, your transition is not important to everybody else as far as the staffing for the, for, for those medical appointments and those uh, internships or anything else that you CSP that you might want to explore. So it it can really be tight if you're not starting at least thirty six to twenty four months out. So so let's talk a little bit about what why that is and that and the reason for that 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 it's not as important for everybody else is because there there's a mission in the army right we have soldiers Absolutely. that are out there that need to accomplish certain things and and when you're retiring most likely you're you're a senior leader at that point so that is that is the case and and you going to appointments takes you out of that fight. And so I guess um, I guess that's one of the reasons why you mentioned, you know, the solution that you had is because there's competing requirements around there, right? And so maybe maybe you can talk a little bit about the competing requirements and why that, uh, that bogs down a, a soldier even more. Absolutely. Com- competing re- requirements regardless, even if you're in the most um, established organization where the battle rhythm is predictable, as, as you said, as a senior leader, you're going to be required to attend and participate, give guidance, give recommendations to those events. And so so I'll backtrack a little bit. When I recruited, I was a recruiter for three years in Columbus, Ohio. You, When you recruit, 
a potential soldier, you are selling a lifestyle. You're not selling a job. This is not a regular nine to five. You are literally selling a way of life. And so for, for some of these folks, this is all they've known. They've joined at 17, 18. The army is all they've known. So of course, it doesn't matter that you're getting ready to retire. Any seasoned NCO, any seasoned soldier is still going to want to be successful in the position as long as they're holding that position. They're, they're not going to give up. They're not going to say, you know what, I'm done. I'm just not going to show up to work. Well, and generally these soldiers that are retiring, I mean, it's implied that you don't just not go to work because you have an appointment or you have something that you have to do or your family needs something. Generally, it's already instilled that, you know, you have to be at work. And a lot of these soldiers, I mean, I even knew a master sergeant who worked up literally until his last day and really didn't have a plan to get out and was still on the hook thinking that, like, maybe he'd make the sergeant majors list. So, like, he literally went to the last day still working. Exactly. The commitment is always there. Once you've bought into the lifestyle, um, you're committed. You're committed to the Army's mission until the very last. And especially if that's all you've known and it's comfortable, right? You're very successful at it. This is what you do. This is all you've known. So it's it's easy to not drift off into what's uncomfortable, which is retirement, which is transition. What am I going to do after this? So it's really a struggle. It's a struggle for service members to balance that, to say, okay, and there's no program in place for them to cut it off completely. They can't cut it off completely. They have to continue to work um, and and try to balance that as much as possible um, on, like you said, until the last day. Now, some units, based on tempo, it's easy for them to say, hey, master star and such and such, go ahead and take your, go ahead and take care of your appointments. Go ahead and take care of what you need to do. But when you're in a, you know, BCT environment, high tempo environment, you're going to the field every quarter, ground maintenance, it's hard. You still are committed. And especially you don't want to let your team down. It's all about the team. Um, You still want to pull your weight as much as you can until the very end. And unfortunately, the family suffers and you suffer after you're out and you're like, man, what do I do now? Who am I? It's also, you know, who am I? You're still trying to find yourself. You don't even know who you are outside of the uniform until you're outside of the uniform, right? right? And maybe for some people that's too late, um, but some can manage. But for the most part, that's too late. Uh, I, I was one of those, by the way. On my, I, I, my last day was on a Friday, and I worked to the very last minute. It, it, like, I felt like I was going to come back on Monday, but when the Monday came around... I was done and I was lost. I felt like I felt like I was in mourning, you know? It was it was really it was really painful. And I think that that's why I think that your article is very important uh because even if it re- reaches one or two people that, and and makes them realize just how important it is that they look at this uh, at their retirement and, and start working ahead of time uh and they won't be in a place like like where I was where I was just uh one day I just didn't come in and I, I was done. I was retired. You know, I was, it was, it was terrifying. It was, it was just, uh, like I said, I was a morning man. I felt like I was, I was in this black hole. It's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Every soldier that I've known in my team that attend that first tap class, I want to say it's like five days. The, when they come back, they are just shocked and awe. They're like, man, this is a lot. It's a really a lot of stuff that they crammed in for five days 
And even if you do that, let's say you, you, you did that class 24 months out, you know, you're still involved with with your with your with your job. Sometimes they forget and they do it again and it's overwhelming. They they come back overwhelmed. Everyone that's been to that tap class has come back overwhelmed with man. I don't think I'm prepared. I don't think I have enough time. So what are some of the what are some of the things that you suggest based on your article? You you, you have a pretty solid plan. Can you can you explain that to us? In a perfect army, <laughs> once you've once you have approved retirement orders at twelve months, um, you would be PCS to that transition battalion on your installation, and they will uh, be responsible for your accountability, your awards, your NCOER, um, your retirement ceremony, and just allow you to just be in a in a place where you are not challenged with trying to take care of soldiers trying to accomplish the mission the mission is to prepare yourself for retirement uh the best way possible uh, so in a perfect world that's that's how it will be um family members included in that process even though right now family members are welcome to attend those classes with you um, but like i like i mentioned in the article it's very hurried and there's a lot of pressure to try to cram it in at the right time where you can still balance those work requirements. Uh, transition battalion just allows that uh, command and control, that one spot where soldiers are assigned um, to be able to do that without feeling guilty, honestly, with that, just without feeling guilty. And then the leadership there at the transition battalion can, is also 100% dedicated to the transition process. They're not, you know, managing training schedules. They're not managing, you know, motor pool Monday. They're just there to facilitate that entire transition until that service member's very last day in the Army. So it's twofold. It, it's a dedicated process for whoever the chain of command or the staff at the transition battalion. They're dedicated to the service members and their family, as well as the service member has that dedicated time and a plethora of resources to explore without feeling confined or restricted um, based on balancing transitioning as well as the daily work requirements. Just to clarify something, though, do you mean that the for the transition the, uh, battalion, would that also include like not soldiers who are retiring, but those who are getting out, say, after four, six years or whatever. Is, is, that, is that, are they included in that transition battalion? I would say yes. So I started it off um, with just retirees, but absolutely, why not? Um, especially that I wanted to highlight the chapter process. Having served as a first sergeant for, you know, three times, the chapter process, when, when a soldier is identified for chapter, there, especially if it's a negative chapter, um, there's a lot of time and dedication with the supervisor to properly uh, depart the army. The transition battalion, maybe that's a, that's another umbrella under the transition battalion that can free up those resources for the unit, um, as well as soldiers ETSing. Absolutely. Um, I focused it on retirees because uh, that's where my heart was at the time. But absolutely, I can see something. I can see the transition battalion uh, covering ETSs as well as chapters. It just seems to me when I, when I when I read into that that I it, there would be a, a uh, that would be like a significant uh, a cost to the army. And, absolutely, and that would I don't know whether that would be something that that would be beneficial necessarily. Even though it would be it would be beneficial, but because of the cost that it would entail, 
I think it would be something that they wouldn't even consider. Well, I think that's where we have to talk about the cost here because it's a lot of um, – there's a lot more cost than just money, right? It would be pulling resources or personnel from other units to man this this battalion. And, I, and so I think um, maybe you can talk a little bit because in your article, uh, Master Ryan, you mentioned how the Army in-processes soldiers, incoming personnel. And maybe you can talk a little bit about the resources that they have available to do that and why that makes it so smooth and kind of the the idea of doing the same thing similar to retiring soldiers. Absolutely. Um, I did my drill sergeant time at Fort Leonard Wood, um, so I had a lot of interaction with the reception battalion there in Missouri. Um, there is a dedicated staff at the reception battalion that their focus 24-7 is to prepare these soldiers for training. And we, we've invested a lot of resources into preparing our soldiers to go to basic training, become uh, job certified, and send them out to the fighting force. Um, so it's a similar concept. I, I think the difference is you get your money's worth with the reception battalion in the sense that you're preparing the soldiers for training. They're going to be an asset to the Army. On the back end of a transition battalion, it will require money, it will re- it will require personnel and other resources, but the benefit is to properly transitioning the soldiers. Now think about this. I think about so you know, veteran suicides. I think about what if that is somewhat related to the transition process? I don't know, I'm just speculating. But there's a lot of money that goes into veterans' services and care after they're, they've transitioned out of the Army. Maybe it'll be a benefit there on the back end. And I also talked a little bit about uh, recruiting and hire, hire and inspire the concept of our veterans or soldier retirees. Even our ETSs and our chapters are, are supposed to recruit for us especially veterans, right? If, I, if I'm if i retiring out of the Army at 22, 24 years and, and I did not have a, a proper transition out or I may not want my children to join, I may not want my family members to join, I might have, I might have, I might have a, a sore feeling about that. So it, it may not be monetary benefits, but it can, it can all around help in the recruiting process and just having that positive voice out in the community and maybe second and third order of effects, it limits the resources that the VA has to do on the back end because the process was properly executed in the first place. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? It Also, if, if they truly are serious about people first, then this is something that – and the reason also that we bring up – that I bring up the kind of poke some holes in your, in your, in your arguments is not necessarily to deride or to say that you know it's messed up or anything, but just because I think this is something that's very significant and that if the Army is truly honest and truly wants to do something, truly be people first, then I think that this is, this is something that should be considered seriously. But if you don't poke holes at something then and you assume that everything's golden, then it's not realistic. So I think that, that we need to be realistic, but I think this would be a great change or improvement to the, the way arm, the Army does business you know, with the soldiers because it's not just about you know, using them up while they're on, in the service. You, know, you have to prepare them for life afterwards as, as well, and they'll continue to be assets. It's not just uh, prepare them for life. It's one of, one of the messages is prepare them for their new mission. You know, it's just it's it's just a matter of if you're no longer a soldier, you're no longer a marine, you're no longer a 
service member, you're you're now having a new mission. Absolutely. Um, no, I, I absolutely agree. And I think I, that was the very first thing. Even my instructor at the academy was like, yeah, that's probably not going to work. The Army is not going to spend money to do that. But we also said the NCOER would never change. We said the Army would never revamp their PT test. We said height and weight would never change, right? We said a lot of things wouldn't change. So I, like I said before, I think we're, we are in a season of change for the Army and just let's keep it rolling. Yeah. I, I don't think it's a perfect answer that I suggested, but it is a recommendation for a way forward. Right, and it opens the conversation, right? Because these things that you're you're saying are an issue and you have some possible recommendations opens the door to a, to a new idea. I know that we do have warrior transition battalions where some of the uh, med board type personnel go to sometime before they ETS. This could be a, a great addition to that. I don't know if the answer is, you know, two years or a year before. I think that that puts a lot of manning constrictions on the army. Well, maybe mm-hmm. an expansion of that, yeah. turning it into more, adding to it rather than taking it and putting someplace else. Right. But transforming it. I do have a side question for this. And it's because after about seven years, I did just, dis- I decided at one point that I was going to get out of the army and I was at Fort Bragg and I went through the ACAP process. It was about a week long. And, uh, at that time they didn't offer the apprenticeships and stuff like that. This was, uh, right. this was a little while ago. And, that was pretty much it. They taught me how to write a resume. They taught me how to, you know, get in contact with VA and some of the things that they provide and stuff like that. And that was about it. But the entire time that I was in ACAP, I was still being called by my platoon starting to come back to work. And uh, mm-hmm. that would have been it. I mean, I would have gone nowhere after that. That would have, you know, I was still having to go to work every day until my last day. And then I decided to just re-enlist. But... If if your plan was was put in place and implemented, would I, having decided to ACAP, have gone to that battalion? And then what would happen if I decided to just reenlist? That's a great question. Um, I would recommend, and I think I did mention this in the article as well. There, there should be a, a counseling process where there's a conversation had between maybe the brigade level commander. I'm not sure what that looks like to where that that conversation happens before it's put in writing to transition you to the battalion. Um, So that, you know, absolutely is a lifestyle change, right? If you decide to re-enlist, absolutely, that's a win for the Army. Uh, But as far as the the severity of the decision to to PCS that soldier to the transition battalion, uh, I think that needs to be a conversation with the senior leader and put in writing so, the, so that the service member understands the severity of their decision once they've moved over to the battalion. Obviously, uh, for retirement, you, you, you could have a change of heart, but honestly, when a soldier decides that they're going to retire, they're pretty, pretty 90% set in stone that they will. Uh, it, it becomes tricky with, with the ETSers, uh, for sure. I agree with that. Yeah, can you talk a little bit about the um, what what would happen to those positions? Let's just say uh, a soldier gets PCS to that transition battalion. Uh, what 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 kind of second order effects happens with that opening that slot being opened up? Yeah, oftentimes you hear you hear well we can't backfill that position because you know Sergeant First Class such and such is still on the books. 
um, in a perfect army, you know, once that Sergeant First Class is over to the transition battalion, there's now a vacancy for that position, that paragraph and line number in that battalion, in that company that can potentially be backfilled without waiting for that Sergeant First Class last day in the army to fall off the books. And I think that supports talent management as well. I'm currently within my, my year. Um, I just picked up my uh, retirement packet. Uh, Congratulations! Yeah, thank you. Um, so this is <laughs> this is terrified. like right on. Yeah, said terrified. <laughs> um, so this is right on point with where I'm at right now. And one of the things I was talking about with um, with my supervisor in Chago uh, was my education. I I still have four classes, and I, you know I probably should have done a better job at um, managing my time and getting that done. To, you know, I'm four classes away from my bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were just talking about how, you know, what what some of the benefits that can come about from having a year to prepare to retire. And I think one of those things would be, man, I could probably finish my degree in that time. time. Yeah. Yes. So I mean, maybe okay. if you can talk a little bit about some of the other, some of the other um, secondary benefits or something like that from from having a soldier focus entirely a year to retirement. Absolutely. Time is time is a major factor um, f- to provide that soldier just time, time to think, time to brainstorm decisions with the family members, time to take classes, time to reflect. Time is a major, major factor that you'll provide that soldier. And, and like I said, if it's done correctly, then once they are out of the army, there's no going back to, oh, man, I'm only at 50 percent. I didn't mention this, I didn't mention that. And now they have to revisit the process, which which is a which can cause a backlog, which I think there is with the, with the VA process, right? Um, but just time. And we can never get that time back while we're in. And we don't think about that, but everyone will transition at some point out of the Army. It's a fact, whether you're a four-star or whether you are or an E4, you are going to transition. And how are we going to properly do that to take care of the person on the back end? And also think about the benefits to society, um, unemployment or lack of employment, um, just being able to be financially prepared to take care of your family and not be in, in a state of distress of how am I going to do this? because my disability is only so much, or I'm not adequately prepared to even apply for this position because I'm still four classes short for my degree. Um, so I, I know there's there's not a tangible benefit to time. Until we, we don't actually realize it until we're in in that position where, man, I wish, I just wish I had more time. And I think that's a, it may, may, it may sound old fashioned, but that's just, that's the major sell, is just allowing the time to prepare so that there are no second or third order effects after you're out. Because at the end, you know, the Army still pays for that in some way. You know, with uh, when it comes to time, there was, I knew people, mainly officers actually, who uh, by the time they retired or when they retired, they had a job waiting for them. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I didn't know a single enlisted person who had a job waiting for them, with, for them when they retired. But, or if they did have a job for them, it was not something that that equated to what they were doing in the army as far as pay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, having the time is is vital, and I think that your proposal here is what would be would would give a lot of these soldiers the time that they need. 
to be able to succeed after uh, and continue serving, you know, their country and the army afterwards as well uh, without having to worry, like you said, about money or about what am I going to do or, you know, I'm just sitting here confused as to what to do with my life now. You know, they can have a plan and have time to formulate one. Yeah. And I'm I'm afraid to. I've got a lot of time for retirement, but I've seen a lot of people retire. And here in Chago talk about it, it makes sense because I'm afraid that, you know, one day it's just gonna be like I'm wearing the uniform and then I'm not. And then who am I? Yeah, exactly. Yes. Even though I have all these things and all this experience and all these all this knowledge and but who do I tell? Like, mm-hmm. who am I, wh- what am I doing now, you know? And what job do I pick? And do I revert back to some old lifestyle that I used to have? Like, what's going to happen? I'm not as secure Absolutely. financially. I, whatever it is, I may not have the same thing that I have now. So that, I think that's what worries me a little bit, especially just even ETSing, just even mm-hmm. thinking about getting out. I think that's what stopped me the first time. Yeah, think about the age. When you're retiring out of the Army, you're at least 38 or, and older. Right. If you're on if you're on the lower spectrum of that age bracket, you you may be good to go um, in some aspects. But if you're on the higher end, you know, if you spend 25, 30 years in the army, you're mid to late 40s. It's a lot to digest. What would be your main takeaway that you'd want NCOs to get out of reading your article? Be prepared. Uh, it's a personal responsibility. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to your family members to start uh, researching and gathering information uh, on what's available for the transition process just to afford yourself time uh, based on, on what type of unit you're in, just to allow yourself time to start preparing for that. So um, I, I would I would soldiers just need to, to, to start asking questions start attending those briefs, uh, start doing their own personal research, having conversations with their family members and just finding finding out um, how they want to plan that transition. But start it as early as possible. Uh, the services are there. Take advantage of them. That way, when you're in the window and you've made that decision, you don't feel as rushed as you would have had you not started early. Thank you, for Sergeant, for joining us. And thank you to our audience. Remember to put your knowledge to the page, submit articles, and get published with the NCO Journal. Don't forget to check out our webpage and follow us on social media. We'll catch you next time on the NCO Journal Podcast.